I think the main advice I would give to my young comic self is that I was under the vague impression because I didn't understand the industry and didn't know how I was supposed to interact with it or how to get access to it that ultimately like a, a break or any step up would come from above that somehow someone above would like see younger me yeah, and yeah. like pluck them yeah. up the ladder and that was like sort of how it worked or like an older executive would be like you're welcome to showbiz or something yeah, yeah. like we're bringing you in for a meeting and you know, suddenly five or six years went by and I realized like, oh, this is the the lateral networking of like, it was not that hard to look down at every job I've gotten and realize it came from people you knew, people I knew and people I knew when I was like 25 and a drunk idiot at a bar. Yeah. Like, that's where like my writing jobs, my acting jobs, my touring stuff, you just have to sort of like focus on what you're good at and what what makes you different than anybody else. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. This weekend, we've got two headliners in town, one at Big Hunt and one at DC Draft House. We'll have Joyelle Nicole Johnson at Big Hunt. She's a very funny comic from New York who has most recently been seen on Crashing on HBO. And at DC Draft House, we'll have Anthony DeVito. Anthony is headlined many underground comedy shows. He was most recently seen on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast or comedy in general, you can email undergroundcomedydc at gmail.com. Our guest today is Max Silvestri. Max is a LA-based comic, writer, and actor. As an actor, he has appeared on The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Broad City. You can see his stand-up on Netflix, and he is also a writer for the animated Netflix show Big Mouth. In this episode, he talks about his early days performing at Rafifi in New York City, touring with John Mulaney, and what it's like balancing multiple projects simultaneously. Okay, so you majored in semiotics. I did, yeah. And that was basically film studies? Yeah, I mean, it was like there was a film studies department that they called modern culture and media that was like all theory. Okay. So like lots of classes arguing about like Foucault and stuff. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that much. And then there was like a visual art department where you got to do some making film, uh -huh. but then a lot of like portrait drawing classes. And I also didn't want to do that. And this major like sort of combined both. The sneaky thing that I didn't want to admit to my parents was um, it also had, I believe, the least requirements okay. of any major. Uh, it was like literally wow. like eight classes that you had to take, four of which I'd already taken. So, and it wasn't out of pure laziness. I, I mean, that was a big part of it, but I was like already doing stand up at the time and taking like a lot of like acting and theater classes and had done like an independent study, like writing comedy class. Like, I just wanted to have a lot of freedom yeah. to do other things. So with the major, I, like, made short films and then moved to New York. Um, and suddenly, like, YouTube was a thing. So it was, like, kind of handy. Yeah. Because, like, we didn't have, like, fancy equipment or, like, lights or mics or anything. Like, mm -hmm. the department just didn't have that. So we were basically just using these super cheap camcorders and then just editing on the computer, computer yeah. to make four-minute videos. And then I got to New York and... 05 or whatever and suddenly like the ability to shoot quick and dirty things yeah um and edit them yourselves was like 
a handy skill. Right. Was it a skill worth six figures? I don't know. Um, right. But weirdly, also technically, the major was called arts colon semiotics. Like that's just how they named uh -huh. it, and that's like got me my first job in New York. That moved me to New York. Right. I worked at the MoMA for seven years doing computer stuff unrelated to what yeah, I majored right, in. Course. But when they were like searching through Monster.com for someone to hire, they like put in you know network uh, administration or whatever plus art trying to find someone with the skill set. Is that set. right? Did they tell you that? Yeah. And they're like, and they didn't know what art semiotics was. It's just like art was in my major. Right. So, and like there was no part of my job that required any processing yeah, or yeah, digestion right. of art, but yeah. they were just, you know, trying to filter out a million resumes. Um, so in that way, it did end up getting me a job because they were like, oh, he's got art in his right. major. <laughs> we'll hire him. Did you make, were you making sketches when you first got to New York? Yeah, I was. Um, I, yeah, I like, I would make stuff like for live shows, uh -huh. you know, like I was doing comedy in downtown New York at this venue called Rafifi, right. um, which, you know, the people that were sort of like, it's where like Eugene Merman and, and Dimitri Martin and David Cross and people like that were doing a lot of like multimedia stuff. So the idea yeah. of like a weird video that looks like it cost $8 as part of a show was very normal yeah, and also yeah. was like easier than writing six minutes of material. So like I very quickly was like hosting shows there and would like make a show each, make, make a video each month for that. Not even quite realizing the point, like, like an idiot, I was spending 20 hours on these things just to show to a crowd of 60 people and uploading them yeah. was somewhat like incidental. Yeah, yeah. And like the fourth or fifth one I did, um, we then put online like it was like truly just for like this live show is on Sunday, you know, right. November, whatever. We made it, showed it, it did well, but then put it online and it was kind of like an early viral sketch type video and oh, like cool. opened a lot of like initial doors for me. But truly the idea was not to like the internet's the future. It was like, yeah, no, we yeah. need to show something in this back room of Rafifi. It's always nice when you, ha when you're forced to do something, but then it's also creates a product at the end that you yeah. didn't even intentionally mean to do. Yeah, and if you had been making it just to have a product or to go wide, you might have done things very differently. Yeah, like we'd be we were stressed just... out and we would do, take forever to do it instead or, of just... Yeah, or thought about like, oh, this should be something that everyone can... Or whatever, like yeah, this is yeah. just like a weird thing we made for right. whatever. I mean, it's... I don't know, it, take, it was a, a slow lesson to learn that maybe still I haven't learned. Um, but the reach of a video sketch on YouTube or a podcast, for example, um, even in their like least successful versions is so much wider than a million bar shows of course, or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. like, I still will stress out more over like the bar show than putting something together that like 3000 people could quickly and casually consume. Well, you know? yeah, it's live people. There's a lot more responsibility when there's live, live people in front of you. Yeah. You really feel it. You know, and you have their attention. They're yeah. looking right at you. It's not like, yeah. Oh, this is something I yeah, do. Cause the second you stop trying. Yeah. All of a sudden it's pain. You're in immediately in pain. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so like I, I did video sketch stuff for a while. Um, I got in this trap though where we like, because this one video kind of went viral and we got some like actually money opportunities out of it. Not like crazy, but just in the sense of like, oh, this company will like pay us to make a web series or like, yeah. we'll now like be able to like have a little crew and like, 
get a thousand dollars out of it or something yeah, yeah. like that sort of got in a place where my desire to do it for free waned yeah, too yeah. early, you know? Like, I mean, I was yeah, only 25 yeah. or whatever, but I was like, we got to wait till this deal closes for this, <laughs> yeah, you know, cheap-ass yeah. web series. Yeah, but yeah. meanwhile, I still, like, had weekends and nights and disposable income and could have been just, like, making stuff for fun right. or for myself. That And that's the stuff that ends up, like, having an effect. That's what connects with people. Yeah, but instead I was like waiting around for like lawyers to negotiate, yeah. you know, a contract for a web series for a year and um you know, and and this was also all before you know, speaking of timing, like the idea of like um YouTube, not that I would have been a YouTube vlogger or YouTube star, but just this idea of like actually to be a creator that just makes stuff constantly yeah. so as to forge a connection with an audience right. is like there's a huge value to that. I, I missed that window as well. I was like, but I don't think you missed it though. I mean, just in, like it was around that time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, people were paying attention right. to like these, these sketch things on yeah. the internet. If we had just like kept making stuff right. consistently, the you know there would have been fans that just sort of stayed with us and sort of like, what's up now? What are you doing? Yeah, you know, yeah. Rather than being like, hopefully in the next two years we'll be able to drop our you know yeah, new yeah. series or whatever. Were you when you were making those? Were you thinking? that you might want to be a director and make films Were you, are you just open to anything? I mean, it's weird. I like, I think ultimately like I do very much want to direct, but it took me a long time to like, I think I was just trying to make something that I would be in. I think I've like okay. never auditioned well and, but always wanted to perform in front of the camera. So this was like yeah. the easiest way Okay. rather than getting, someone else to put me in yeah, their thing. That's what I did too. Yeah, yeah. I just made a million shows and put myself on them. Exactly. You're like, see, now I'm in it, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, but also I think, I mean, I don't know, like TV writing is like writing in quotes because there is so much like, it is kind of producing and directing in its own way, even if you're not shooting the thing. So like, I think there was just an element of like, I want to like have an idea and be able to bring it right all the way to the, to the end point and like film writing is not like that and you know yeah but you but tv writing you think is a little bit more i mean i mean the director is such a different job in in yeah in tv yeah like yeah. tends to be more just executing right yeah right you know this is how we do the show you're here this week yeah do you guys switch directors um you know animation's its own thing right because animation yeah, yeah. is like a director is perhaps not directing like we have a one of the writer producers i should say this we're talking about big mouth we, uh, yeah i'm a writer uh consulting producer on big mouth i they like the performance is not like the the re recordings are not directed by the director which is a different thing for animation okay. so the director is like directing in the traditional visual senses but also like managing a team yeah. of animators and storyboard artists and all these different like departments and also managing you know uh big mouth is done in-house like big mouth is you know there's an animation studio that like we write at that the directors and a lot of the animators are and editors are there but also the actual like frame by frame a lot of that like grinding stuff is sent out to different animation houses all around the world just like most of the big shows you know do you guys, if you want it to look a, like a certain way to be funny and then they draw it and it's not 
drawn do you ever run into where it's not drawn the way you want it to be absolutely and and this is something i didn't know before we started doing you know i i, I kind of came in to write um but then was there long enough that like oh now we're doing rewrites on you know episodes after they've been animated after they've been colored and the term for it is um like we need to adjust the acting here they call it acting yeah. but what that means is like you know <laughs> that sounds like an awful thing to bring an animator into the into the conference room you say we need to adjust the acting here <laughs> i mean it is kind of like but it, it's 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 almost more um it's not like hey let's talk about the performance here it is specific adjustments where it'll be like in scene 5 you know f like frame 20 or whatever um Missy's face shouldn't be sad here. Right. She should be surprised. Right. And like her hand should be waving goodbye. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's very yeah. like um, more puppet like in the actual like, it's so it's not just kind of like she should be feeling. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, also our show is is not super detailed in the animation. Yeah, yeah. So like the, the most of the performance is coming from the voice. Yeah. You know, the voice acting that's already recorded. So the animation stuff is kind of like, hey, why are the eyes so wide here? They mm -hmm. should be a little more like suspicious and the mouth should be frowning. But it's like very like yeah, sure. tight adjustments. It's not like we need to talk about the, you know, the spirit yeah, that's driving yeah. the, the character model yeah, in, this, in this scene. But it is it is something that, you know, we, you know, you're still rewriting and adjusting that stuff a year after it's been written. Like the, it, the animatic gets done, then it gets colored in and like, um, like an episode I wrote a year ago, we're, we're screening on Monday, like cut, like it is fully colored, but we can still change jokes. Yeah. Like, because the show uses, um, you know, a company of actors that unless it's like, it might be like if, oh, well this guest star, I'd love to re-record that. Probably not going to bring him back. Yeah. In right. Just right. To get like, whoa, instead of wow. Yeah. But yeah. if it's one of the main voice actors it's like well they'll be in next week doing yeah yeah this other episode so it's no problem to like get new stuff so it is nice that you get to keep yeah like it'll be like oh man this is our fourth try trying to figure out the end of this scene like we kind of knew it when we first wrote it that like doesn't end quite right then we animated it then we record it. you know it's like you get yeah, multiple yeah. shots um and eventually you have to, I don't know, upload the file to Netflix or whatever yeah, the deadline yeah, you gotta is. Give At some up point, and, you're like, yeah. I guess it's years now. Yeah, the show is... Well, I think like the, the, the main show. deadline they have is they have to um, um, send it off to get what they call localized. Because Netflix is all about global release dates now. So, like, there are Italian voiceover artists and there oh, are wow. German... Like, oh, it's, really? it's released in however many languages and they have a cast of people and all those. Wow, that's really something. So when we lock it in and, you know, three months before the release date or whatever... We gotta get Giuseppe going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the Italian Nick Kroll is got to Um So, yeah, that's kind of like the last deadline is to get all the other countries doing it. So, do you feel, do you feel like, uh, you know, that's a good job and you're you're enjoying that? Is there like, would you be satisfied continuing to be a, just a writer? Do you you know do you want? No, no, no. You know, I I mean, it's a wonderful, remains such a wonderful, fun thing. Right. Um, it's like so many people involved, speaking of Rafifi, so many people involved are like friends I made, you know, 10, 12, 13 years ago yeah. at that club. I mean, 
It's where I met Nick Kroll and John Mulaney and Jenny Slade, who's on the show, and there's writers, Gabe Liedman. It's like all these people that are like, oh, it's so fun Did to work Did you start with. at the same time as all those people? Um, Nick started a couple years ahead. Um, he, like, when he graduated Georgetown, came up to New York, so he was kind of in that scene a year or two ahead of me. John and I are the same age, but, like, he had kind of come up, because he knew Nick, he had sort of, like, come up like for a summer mm -hmm. he had like sort of already kind of started breaking in but like jenny and um jenny slade and gabe liebman and like other friends i still work with sometimes like joe mandy and um noah garfinkel we all started like just about the same time like oh five yeah in um it's got to be wild to see everyone's careers it, it is it's fun and it's also like i think we thought i was just talking about this with jenny maybe it's because we looked up to you know, guys like Dimitri and I don't know, Patton and Eugene and these Sarah Silverman and these comics that did a lot of different things that when we got there, that was just like, yeah, we loved doing stand up, but our stand up was like sketchier and yeah. sort of more alt. And we were also doing videos and writing and auditioning and wanted this type of job. And um, I think we kind of just thought like that was the future of comedy. comedy like yeah. it had turned, like a page had turned and like this idea of only. Um, being a stand-up or only like auditioning for, I don't know, like that it just felt like, yeah, we're all, we all want to do everything. And I, I don't know if that helped all our stand-up, but then the next crop after us kind of refocused on stand-up, on stand-up, like a scene Absolutely. came up that was like, you know, was all about uh, David Tell and Louis and Greg Giraldo and jokes and just like getting in the reps every night and getting on the road and becoming like honed and perfect and not getting distracted by like yeah. trying to write sketches or trying to like, you know, write pilots or audition. And yeah. they were all, you know, much better like touring stand up. At stand up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, oh, I, I figured everyone would just always want to do everything, but actually not, a, that's not the truth. I feel like it's it's shifting back now. I think so. like the, the, this like Brooklyn scene now feels very like multi-hyphenate and podcasting is a big part of it and sort of like having their personas and personalities in these like podcast like it it changes again but yeah there was the, the the people that came after us in like 08 09 the young crop were like there to do sets and there to like make jokes like perfect yeah it's because when i when that when I wasn't doing stand-up when, when that was happening, when you were at Rafifi. Yeah. And that but I was paying attention to stand-up, and I was watching it. And, you know, I really felt, you know, was experiencing the alt-comedy and, and everything that was going on. And then when I started, it was during the Louis time. Right, like, of, like, let's let's make, like... An album a yeah, year. Yeah, let's build up to the, you know, the half hour or the yeah. album, and then, like, get in that, like... like the dream would be to tour theaters or the dream, yeah. you know, like that's what's the, and you got to stay focused to that one goal. If yeah. you're going to do that, of just like work the material, you know, I was thinking about how crazy stand up is. Like I haven't been performing much for the past year um, from producing all the shows. And whenever I do like go back to perform, I, you realize like in order to be good at this, you have to do it all the time. Yeah. And yeah. it's like such a funny thing to like trick your body into being able to do it. Yeah. Like you have to like convince, like you, you have to train the muscle memory of your body over and over and yes. over again so that you can walk in front of people and then make them laugh at will. And in order to maintain that skill, you can never stop. Yeah. It's really, it, it's something that I was, I kind of just assumed I would get to a point 
where that would not be. I would be like, well, now I'm through the door or yeah. whatever. Like I can always like, yeah, you got to write more. But as far as getting up and just being able to feel comfortable yeah. and feel excited about doing it, like the switch has flipped. But that's just not really that true. You get better at maybe, maybe my starting like after, you know, a few weeks not doing it, like you pick it up faster, a little faster, but like, I mean, even touring, you know, I spent a lot of like the last couple of years touring with John Mulaney and like we'd sort of, and who, who I think of as like, because of how many hour and a half sets he gets to do and how big this tour was. I mean, like as far as reps or time yeah. or, you know, talent in, in my mind, he's sort of like in a very, rarefied league oh, of I mean course, of you know he's he is, yeah. truly like one of the best and like you know he had then finished the tour and done some other stuff and you know we went back out for a college gig or something and like um he did great but like he still had the the kind of like I haven't done it like I haven't been doing sets in New York and like I haven't done it in a few weeks and like I can't remember my jokes and I'm so nervous to go on stage and it doesn't feel like yeah. just to, to be at that level where yes. it's like wow you just did like a hundred and ninety-five hours of comedy, you know, on average to an audience of like sixteen hundred people for like eighteen straight months, and yeah. you took three weeks off. It's crazy, and you still are like kind of like, how do I start and That's what do an I say? Thing. How do I walk out? You know, where do you pick the mic up? It's nuts. It's that. really crazy. I've I've been to two shows in my life where I. The feature after the feature went on, I did not care about the headliner anymore. That I, which is the person I went bought the tickets yeah. to see, and I saw Jesselnick at uh, DC Improv and Rory Scovel open for him, and I'd never seen Rory before. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. And he blew my mind. Yeah. And then I, and then Jesselnick, I didn't care at all. Yeah. I just I'm like, <laughs> this is good. Like this, these jokes are well written. Yeah. But yeah, like yeah. what. Rory was but Rory, doing. Rory is his own. You it's know. like something I've never seen before. Yeah. It's com like I, I've seen people write great jokes, but yes. I've never seen this type of one. And then I saw I went to see Aziz at Warner Theater probably, I don't know, eight, seven years ago, yeah. probably. And uh, Mulaney opened up for him. And I didn't know who Mul I never heard of Mulaney before. And I didn't even know who he was after the show. I just kept thinking like that that first dude was so <laughs> funny. Right, right. He t and he told the story about when he's, he's got to put his get his ass inspected and put his elbows oh, on the you table. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, um, with the guy with the Batman t-shirt yeah, yeah. uh, where he's trying to get Xanax or whatever. Yeah, that yeah, story. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, that story's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm like, I just thought about it for... Oh, I, no! <laughs> I thought about it for for years after that. And then it, eventually I pieced together that, yeah. it, that it was malign because I saw him do that again. Um, and then I put it together. But yeah, he's incredible He's comic. unbelievable. We were sort of talking about this last night, but I like I... You know, I, I like see a good amount of comedy, but also within a pretty narrow. Yeah. You know, like I watch certain stuff online and like the places I perform at in L.A. like have a certain type of, you know, I'm not like at the Laugh Factory every night seeing like a certain type of swath. But like I get really excited about comics that do something really different yeah. than me. And it's not all, like sometimes they're just great full stuff. Like Nate Bergazzi, we were talking about like one of the reasons he's so funny to me is because like he's so confident in his cadence and he's so slow and I'm such a fast talking person and comic yeah. that like the idea of having the patience and the confidence to say a line and it's not like, you know, a, like a line, like a me or Mulaney, like, Oh, I've written this, like it's 
four jokes in one like digest yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. just like a line that is like a confident point of view and letting it sit for five yeah. seconds is like i'm like this is so different than what i do yeah because it really just feels like he's just standing up there talking yeah it doesn't feel like written jokes really yeah and if you were like time. at a like barbecue with him yeah. he wouldn't be the guy that's like talking loud pulling everyone around yeah. him or whatever or like have this big he'd be this sort of like this dry one you'd kind of realize was on the edge, like ripping apart, right. you know, whatever um, the funniest, but it would take you a minute to be like, Oh, I should be listening to this yeah, guy, yeah, not, yeah. not the loud uncle or whatever. Um, but also like, and he's obviously a very different type of comic, but like I am obsessed with Sebastian, like oh, Sebastian yeah? Maniscalco. Yeah. And like <laughs> he has, you know, I feel like the reputation among comics, like certain comics that he does, but like to watch, his his ability to create laughs out of almost no writing yeah. or no specificity, <laughs> yeah. and I'm I'm not even really knocking it. I'm like, this rules. Like yeah. this, like you are like, just saying like a remember when and a vague story, yeah. and like, then just dancing across the stage. Both and of them crushing. have a really funny way of talking. They have just kind of a funny way of saying words. Yes, yes. There, it's like a true like. Um, are you like a person saying funny things? Or are you a funny person yeah. saying things? And like, they are both the latter. I also like secretly, like, I don't know either of their actual politics, but like, like they both, I mean, Nate Moore is like, I'm dumb. Like, you know, on stage, sure, yeah, his yeah, thing yeah. is like, I'm dumb. And I like, I just admire that. It's so different. Um, but then also with like, they both kind of have like a little bit of a, little c conservatism to their comedy sure. which is like i don't like the way things are going you know and why are people like stop changing yeah it should be like the way i like it yeah and i don't like when people are weird or different and like politically i guess that's a complicated point of view but neither of them are offensive in they're it. doing it in a very simple way yes it's just like why are you being like this yeah and like yeah, maybe 20 years and $20 million later, you turn into Seinfeld, who's just like, everybody disgusts me, yeah, or whatever yeah, he's yeah. like now. But re I really love, because I'm also like, I think I'm I so... I think everybody always disgusted Seinfeld. Yes, yes. But now it's just it, it's like you live it, on, you know... Yeah, when you were uh, just a dude, Like that you was have okay. a cloud mansion that like yeah. floats or whatever. <laughs> like now it just feels like you are, um, you know, repulsed by the unwashed yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like those, those two guys, like I, I think because my comedy is, I don't know. I think just being like a, you know, a, a, like sensitive PC, you know, liberal person that's just like it's always better and more likable to turn the. I'm like a tall white guy. Like I should make fun of myself. I don't need to like. Yeah make a point to make other people feel bad or whatever. Like, oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. That like to watch two guys just kind of be like icked out by <laughs> my other stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, that's great. I wish they're I could like, do that. uh, they're doing it from like a place of innocence. Yes. Yes. And like Nate, I think also gets away with it so much because there's a little bit almost of fear 
of the world of just like <laughs> I'm like yeah, yeah. a little dumb and can't handle yeah. all this and just I go out and people talk about stuff that I don't understand yeah. you know like it's coming from like a, a wide-eyed like also know. like it's also mixed in like laziness <laughs> yeah yeah of just not you know, he he could figure all that stuff out. He just doesn't want to figure it out. Yes, he, yes, which <laughs> I admire as well. He's like, I'm not going to look that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's just, he's being a, a big kid. I and love it. Yeah, it's fun to listen to. So when you think about your stand-up, do you want to be, like, do you want to be touring theaters? Um, Like, if you had to choose between, like, making your own weird show that you could be in. yeah. And like, but that's your life, and and you and you stand up fades away, and then you, you're that's the thing you do, or you become popular to the point where you're touring theaters as a stand up, and you're and that's mainly what yeah. you do. Um, I mean, as far as like, if there was a um, a fast pass teleportation shortcut mm-hmm. to touring theaters, yeah. Um, and having an audience that like just wants to hear you just wants to hear you and they're like smart engaged fans that like buy hard tickets to theater shows and you put up a couple Instagrams and it's like oh this is great Um, I think that life having having been a sidecar passenger to it with Mulaney is like you know it's just so much fun so much freedom so much it's it's a like the money or like the, 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 in TV, it's like, you know, no one's getting like, you know, wildly rich with yeah. TV and a trade, like, especially if you're making your own thing, it's sort of like you're doing every job just because that's sort of like, there's more shows, but no one's like having a, you know, it's like a middle-class existence in a really awesome way. But like touring theaters is like a crazy, yeah like it's its own world. If I could somehow teleport to that, I think I might choose that. Yeah. I, I am a long way from that and don't sure, get yeah. that excited about the road to that. Yeah. That said, like if someone were like, yep, we're making your show. You've been trying to like, you know, the, that this weird pilot you're doing with yeah. your friends where you're in it and you're writing it. And then you're and for the next nine months, you're going to be either in an office writing it mm-hmm. or like on set uh-huh. at six in the morning every day and then editing. And then like, and that's your next year of your life. Yeah. I would choose that in a second. Um, and I think a lot of comics that like touring wouldn't, even if they right. were given that, even if someone were to say, now you get to make your show. It's like, what? I just, this is like a job, you know, yeah. it's like, it's a job. I have to show up at 10 AM and like, there's lots of like documents to read and like a whiteboard and all that. But I, I like, I like being on set. I like, 6 a.m. call times and you know you like 6 a.m. call times I mean I just like I love the I never get bored of being like in a writer's room or on set like I I enjoy that feeling like you just like doing work kind of yeah and it's like and working with a lot of other talented people you know there's as much as I like the independence of stand-up sometimes it's like this product is like just me you know like and other people come together to produce the show and to um, to like, you know, perform on the show. Not that it's like this fully DIY thing, but it's all like ultimately like what the final product is, is yeah. just me talking and ideas I had. Yeah. And that's cool. But like, you know, to make f- like film or TV stuff is like so many smart people have yeah. to come together and work hard. And it is weird that despite that good standup is often much better than <laughs> TV where a lot of people are working on it. But um, I think they're both good. 
I think there's like, especially right now, I think there's a lot of really good TV right now. I agree. And, and it's just, it's, to me, it's like, I do, I do really like collaborating, but also like being the boss and collaborating is being really, the boss really fun. Is the best. It's really, it's like great to have like, I'll bounce around ideas, but then to be the person who gets to decide which idea you're going to do is just like. Do you get to do that? Yeah. in like certain contexts, you know, like, um, not as often as. I'd like, but you yeah, know, yeah. like, um, yeah, I, I, I like being sitting around with people and like coming up with stuff more than I like, um, getting on a plane these days. Like yeah. I like plane rides. I don't like leaving home. I mean, I'm 36. Uh, and yeah. It gets hard. It gets hard. Like even this weekend is like, you know, it's a direct flight from LA to here and I'm gone 48 hours basically. Like I left right. Friday morning and I'll be home Sunday at 10 AM in LA and it's still like this sucks and I wish I wasn't away from my girlfriend and my house. Yeah. And, um, you know, like it's, it's still as much as I love being another, I love being on my own. I'm an only child. I don't like get bored. I feel like touring. that will only get worse too. Yeah, I mean, well, only like right now we have no real responsibilities. Right. We have a dog who's no longer a puppy. She's fine. We both like don't have full time like jobs where it's stressful. Where it's like, yeah. oh, now you're home alone and you've got to like deal with a million things. Yeah. Like it is fine, but at some point in the future, we will have you know, yeah, kids or a this or it. Like it's not going to get exactly easier. And like we're and seven. you're going to get more and more tired. Exactly. Like uh, I'm going to get more and more brutalized by the flights and by the like, yeah. you know the food and the whatever, like, um, yeah, we're seven and a half years in and like have not, we're not like, Oh, I'm happy to, you know, it's nice to have some space, you know, sure. like uh, I still like, don't really want to be, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't feel the same way. I don't, I, w I w imagining being on the road all the time, having n never had to do that. Yeah. Now thinking about it at this point, it seems it's hard to picture like like part of me wishes and I, and I don't think it happens that often anymore because it's so hard to have like say a tv show or a film become such a breakthrough hit where like suddenly everyone knows yeah, your name exactly, yeah. and you now can tour and sell tickets because i feel like I, I remember the first time i had like a food tv shit like i had a couple food shows that i hosted before i was like well that's not working out um I like had this idea of like, well, people, even if it's not popular, will see that show and like, will then buy tickets. But it's actually like very rare, the kind of like, yeah, you have to be like on a network sitcom. And even then you have to be the guy that like people are writing articles about and it's like right. breaking through. Like, I think you have like maybe a Tiffany Haddish or someone like that, that has like, not that she wasn't on the rise on her own, but it's like girls trip truly like yeah break suddenly break everyone out. was like who's this person and like i will pay money to see her tomorrow yeah. you know but for the most part like that doesn't really happen right but it, it would be i would like at some point in my if it did come together like where i don't know there was an opportunity to go on like a really exhausting tour you know whether it's like promoting something or like oh this show with like i'm i'm working on a pilot with a couple comedian friends now it's like oh if this show were to do well and we could really like just take two months and like, you know, hit theaters hard. Yeah. That, especially with your it. friends. Yeah. And with your friends and like get to do that for little, little bits, you know, rather yeah. than like the, you know, like theater guys, it's like the rhythm of, okay, I'm going to, I have to put out a new hour special every, let's say 
two years, year and a half. Yeah. So like the tour needs to build in this way. And it's awesome. It's like, I mean, there's no more fun way to perform, but it's like, yeah, that, that as you're 10 years ahead of you, I bet is, I don't know, maybe a little stressful. Maybe not. Maybe it's, yeah, you were saying earlier, the idea of, uh, you know, you're just, you're doing stand up all the time and then, then you find out there's all these other things that you can do that they yeah. want that, that oh, people yeah. even want from you. Yes. Like when you go into like that fir- first meeting and then I've, I run, I talk to a lot of comics that are around that stage mm-hmm. where they're like starting to get meetings. They're like just get, you know, doing late night shows and stuff yeah. and that finding out that there's something more expected of them than just doing stand up all sure. the time. Yeah. Is uh, I think jarring from all the group of people that came from that Louis school. Yes. And Louis it's like the Chappelle. old Mitch Hedberg joke too about like you you get good at stand up and people are like, well, can you you know? Yes. Can, can you, you act? Far- yeah. Can you farm? Can you yeah. well? <laughs> yeah. Or you, if you cook, yeah. you're like, well, can you farm? And it's yeah. like, I, what? I just want to do this. Um, I forget what the joke that is. That is funny. That is a really old joke. And it, it is was and that true was like back then. Yeah. The, it was back then too. And and I'm from the school that like all we wanted was that meeting where they asked if you would do other stuff. Like, yes. would you write something or would you ever like do this? It's like, yes, I'd love yeah. to do that. Stand up. I'm glad you saw my stand up, but like, let's yeah, talk about yeah. the other stuff. Um, but I'm sure it's also stressful to, to find out like it, you have to keep hustling at the other things, yeah. you know, like John has been, you know, touring consistently and successfully and had, you know, stand up on TV for, let's say, you know, a dozen years or whatever, yeah. but also, he did SNL and like, you know, Stefan stuff took him in a certain direction and, you know, like brought a new, you know, whatever and doing like uh, the Broadway thing brought another. It's like it hasn't just been like, oh, I'm going to put my head down and do stand up. Oh, know? absolutely. I I read this great but like sort of depressing um, profile of Keanu Reeves the other day and he was talking about he's like early 50s and he has you know a very Keanu Reeves zen attitude towards it. The, did it just come out? Yeah just, it was he's like GQ. wearing the sunglasses? I think so I yeah. saw the picture from it. Yeah so he's got you know ha- had a bit of a surprising you know uh, third act in his career with like the John Wick movies yeah. and um, he was just sort of talking about like the he had never really planned his career out in terms of like what the matrix could be or then was, but it's, you know, he's suddenly he was at the front of like a, you know, billion dollar movie franchise and all this stuff. And he was like, I remember in, he was like, I was, he was like, maybe, I don't know if it was before matrix or after, but he was doing this movie, a walk to remember, I think, or a walk in the clouds. I'm forgetting, but it was with Anthony Quinn, this okay. very famous, you know, actor from, you know, Zorba the Greek. I mean, it was, has been a movie star, for like however many, all like 40 years or something. And I think at the time was like 80. Uh-huh. And he's like, you know, I, I it was amazing to get to work with this legend. But then between takes, he would be on the phone with his team, you know, the Anthony Quinn team talking about like, what's next? Do we think we're going to be able to do that? Like, I, you know, I would be up for doing that movie and, you know, Italy if they would do this or whatever. And just... I mean, he ultimately only lived, I think, four or five more years. He was, like, 80 years old, and, like, Keanu Reeves, like, asked him, like, is it always like this? And he was just like, yes. And Keanu Reeves was just like, I was under the impression that at some point you just get to the point where you no longer have to work on working. Yeah. You know, where you're just like, I'm through the door, and it sort of comes to me, and I pick what I want, and just, like, the idea that, oh, that never goes away. It always ebbs and flows, and you're hustling 
for the thing you didn't expect to be hustling for and switching gears and having uh, highs and lows and to just be like, right, you always have to do that other part of the business. Wow, what a thing to realize. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. When you're Keanu When you're Keanu Reeves also, who's like at the time yeah. or was, you know, like certainly one of the bigger movie stars. He'd already done Speed or whatever, you know, yeah. like he was doing great. Yeah. Yeah, that's an incredible thing to hear someone like that say. I remember uh, Molly Shannon was on uh, Mark Maron's podcast mm-hmm. a long time ago, and she was talking about how I think her one her mom died, I think, when she was very young. Okay. And uh, she, I think she was pretty much like trying to fill that void through performance and yeah. through the uh, having other people love her. And so she was determined to get bigger and bigger and more famous. And she felt like once she achieved the fame, then that would heal her injury from when she was young. And no matter what, how big she got, it yeah. never went away. It never felt any better. And, you know, at a certain point, she just realized like, oh, this, I'm just always going to feel this way. And I can't, right. I can't fix this through my work. Right. Like it, I have to solve it some other way yeah. or work on it, other things. But the idea of like, there's some job you get yeah. or some, um, if you succeed enough in, in entertainment or creatively, you'll be healed yes. from what kind of pushed you to that in the first place. But there, it, it doesn't it, yeah, come. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, that makes sense. And also it's a little depressing to be like, I feel like artists often have this, um, a little bit of nervousness about fixing their thing that is broken in. Them. Oh yeah. 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 Cause it's like, if I fix that, if you know, like, yeah, so like yeah. you come to that realization where it's like, Oh, I've got this, this, this thing inside me and like this anxiety or this fear or whatever it is. And you're trying to like work on it. Are you then going to like, lose the thing that made you work hard or be funny yeah. or be successful yeah. or come up with. And I, and I do think that's a fallacy. I think you can Absolutely, like make good too. art and be healthy, but it is a scary, I, this is, I, I had a acquaintance like many years. I had gotten this surgery on my nose to fix. Um, I had a deviated septum, but I also had like these little like nodule things that were making breathing hard, whatever. It was like a quick surgery yeah. and this, like comedian I knew who'd like just had like a couple movies come out and like suddenly was this kind of movie star had like I knew him like through his wife and and he was asking me about the surgery because he needed to get it and he ended up not doing it because he was like a little worried that and I found this out later through someone else that he was like if it changes my voice you know like is that gonna mess with uh yeah I don't know, my movie career. Yeah, he didn't know yeah. like a vein, like this is what people love, but also just being like, I, my job is to right. provide and to make money. And I don't know what the like secret sauce is that has allowed me through the door. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and if I mess with it, and this really, this wasn't even a mental thing. This was like, breathe better. You'll be able to sleep yeah. better. You know, you'll be able to sleep with your mouth closed or whatever. But just being like, I don't know, maybe my thing is... Yeah, yeah. Being having a nasal voice. I don't know. I yeah. don't know what people like, but I don't want to mess with it because it's like weirdly worked, you yeah. know, right here. I think that's a little bit. I uh, would almost ag- agree more with uh, that. Yeah, yeah, I could yeah, start yeah. to like be convinced of that. Be like, okay, well, maybe, maybe you shouldn't mess with that. It yeah, you, you know, and like, look, comedy is sometimes just a funny voice and like we yeah, like looking yeah, at a exactly. person or like laughing at normal things they say. So like, you don't want to like 
fix that. You wouldn't yeah. take elocution lessons if you like had a weird, funny cadence or right, whatever. Right. You wouldn't suddenly become like Midwestern Johnny right. Carson style broadcaster. Right. It's like, no, we liked you before. So maybe he was right. But it is scary to just be like, I'm nervous about getting too well because then but I yeah, won't be I able definitely to make. think I think the psychological stuff and uh, certainly the substance abuse problems yeah. that people are afraid to take care of that they'll lose being funny. I think that that's not true. I, th yeah. I think it's clear you can, there's plenty of examples of people that have fixed their problems um, and are still very funny. Yeah. I, I also think like that that extends to, I mean, I think when comics talk about, um, you know, being mad about audiences being offended or they won't play to college kids or they just think like two PC, why can't I say this? You need to grow up or whatever. It's like, I think this idea that like a comedian cannot adapt to like, like so much of a comedian's job to me is to adapt to the factors right in front of them. Like the yeah. energy of the crowd, where you're playing, like what you feel like that's like, it is truly an art form that is like reading people, vibes, rooms, energy, like live yeah. and tweaking it in the moment to make it funny and more successful. It's like, oh, I'm gonna, this is how the joke gets better. I realize that people like this part and not that part, so exactly. I'll do more of, of like, yeah, yeah. it is all about adaptation. So to say that like, look, this is what I gotta say, funny's funny, like yeah, deal yeah. with it or not, is like such a insane lie. It's like building a structure so that like you get to be an asshole or whatever. It's like, yeah. don't pretend that like you are, you know, bringing down the tablet from the mountain and that you don't have power to change it or that you're above changing it. Cause like you change your shit every day, every minute. Yeah. That's what the whole job is. Like don't pretend. And I'm not saying that like every comic like should or can, you know, soften up their stuff or make it, you know, shitty just to get laughs in that moment. You yeah. know, like obviously sometimes you're like, this is funny and the crowd's wrong. But like the idea of like, Oh man, comics need to, you know, or audiences like can't handle my my sh shit or whatever. It's like you're an idiot. You I, just you just want to be an asshole. Yeah, I mean, I I I think it's tough when you succeed at doing something a certain way mm -hmm. and then the world changes. Yes. And you're like this my success is based on this is I succeeded by doing this. So it's the right thing to do. I know how to I know how to do it this way. Yeah. And then, so you, it, I think it was a really definitely hard on older, older comics sure. that have been around a long time and set their whole career that way. And now kind of the ground shift underneath them a little bit. I feel, I do feel sympathy for them. I feel sympathy. I mean, I also feel like, yes, I feel sympathy, but I also think like, I mean, and the this, attitude that goes along with it is unpleasant, though. Yes. And I also think that, like, you know, I, this, I think you can trace many problems in our current society to um, people having um, angry viewpoints or, or, or not feeling in sync with some sort of new changing mainstream and then finding a community of people online that allows them to live in that anger or harden it or to normalize it and to say like, actually we're all the right ones. Even yeah. if it's like 400 people on sure. a forum or whatever, that's enough to feel like we're the only sane ones. And I hate all these other people that are changing. And I kind of feel like older comics and, you know, people have also found 
and created that community mm-hmm. for themselves online in a lot of like yeah. to have a podcast or to have this kind of like you know what rather than me adapt or or try to understand mm. why the world has changed in one direction and maybe I need to like open my eyes or ears they're like well actually there are 20,000 people that will pay $3 a month or whatever that uh also are mad in the same yeah. way so I'd rather just play so hard to that corner of angry people and it's like more me. than 20,000 yes people. the num- that number is I mean it's there are plenty it's a of lot them. there's a lot of people out there yeah you just kind of you know, they're not, there's a lot of people out there that still have pretty conservative values. Yes. And are still find that, you know, old style of humor completely yeah. fine and yeah. hilarious. Yes. All, and then, you know, all throughout the country. Um, yeah. And I, and I also think that that's fine to find it hilarious. And I often sure, find sure. it hilarious. I yeah, think, yeah. Yeah. I think the victimized attitude uh, yeah, of like, that is the how problem. dare you not it's the attitude. at large find me hilarious. It's like, Hey, you know, like you yeah. were never entitled to a career or to a broad fan base. Like that was great that you had it. Yeah, if at the time, I, I think if if people were were sitting back and they were saying, "Oh, you know, I realize things have changed, but luckily, like there's still a fan base for me, and I've found my fans." And yeah. you know, if they had that, yes. then it wouldn't. Be, you'd be like, "Oh, okay, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. good <laughs> for great. you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah but the other, I was gonna say the other person that." uh the other thing along the lines of that Keanu Reeves in uh, Molly Shan things, what I opened up for Michael Ian Black a long time ago uh-huh. and just talking to him and how stressed out he was about all of the different projects that he was working on and trying, you know, some things he was trying to get going, other things he was already doing and he was, you know, maybe uh, unsatisfied with. And I, that like blew my mind. Cause to me, like I, Watch the state when oh I was, my god yeah when yeah. I was young and I, I've always loved Michael Ian Black and Same. so to me I'm like what do you couldn't how who could be more successful yes without being a movie star yes you're you're on so many TV shows you've made so many great things everyone loves you you're you're able to tour the country mm-hmm. learn how to do stand up after the fact yep and not satisfied yeah still this hustle still hard still like difficult to push you know in some ways pushing five smaller rocks up a hill is harder than pushing yeah. one big rock and that's something that i think i've always struggled with yeah you have that too yeah and have chosen i mean i you know i'm not uh not michael ian black but like have chosen that like from a attention span and interest i prefer switching between little projects yeah the the, the smaller rocks but i also realized that like i probably would have had to continue this metaphor had pushed a bigger one and gotten all the way to the top if I had only focused on one. I don't know that I have the like mentality to have done that and don't have regret about it, but it is like, it's harder. And I'm like, when I move over to the other one, that other one's falling back down. And like, it's not just that I don't have the manpower for it, but it's like, it's hard to, to, to switch between and not have them all suffer to feel like I'm not, they're not adding up, you know? Does it create an anxiety no, like having just continually moving from one thing to another. I mean, everyone has to do it, I guess, to an extent. Everyone is trying to like go from one step to the next. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I think like a lot of my work anxiety is related to um, figuring out what I should be like working on 
this morning. You know, like oh, every day, day is like, what's the thing that needs, what's the garden that needs watering? What's the most important thing? Also, what's going to most change my life or possibly come to fruition? You know, like yeah. there's always like, well, there's four doors I could step exactly. through, yeah. but I don't know which I'm actually closer to and what should I put the effort into? Is it like finishing that script or is, is it like working on this audition or is it like getting that late night set to the booker? Like I actually... If I were to get any one of those jobs, I actually don't know which would be the best for me. You know, like yes. they're all sort of here, but so I don't know what to. I feel that way all you know, the time. You know, okay, I'll put that plate. I'll tell the booker I probably won't be him up for a couple of weeks, and like I'll do the audition because it's due today, and I guess I'll do the script tomorrow because I won't have any audition. You know, it's like yeah, this, this, the 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 working on the like project management of it takes takes up a bunch of your brain space and yeah. willpower. It's like oh man, I just spent an hour trying to sort out even what I should be doing, you yeah. know, rather than just doing, right, you know? Right. And I'm not, so like that is, I think also that's why, because I've spent so many years anxious about that a little bit, that that's why like working on a, my show, show yeah. like getting to be able to do that is like, even if that requires a, its own world of plate spinning and anxiety and like too many balls in the air at once to make the show. At least I know every morning. Yeah, stability. You're going there and you're working on that problem and you're not like thinking about which problem is the problem. Yeah, you yeah. always will just have one right in front of you where people are like, this is yeah. the problem, solve it. Like I'm into that. I just don't want to have to be like, oh, I don't know if I should even think is about it. Is your this. life, or do you feel more calm having working on that show? Um, Like having that, that set schedule and... Or is it just? I, I do feel more calm. Um, I I mean I have my own stresses about you know all the things I do, but just like knowing of like oh, okay tomorrow at ten a.m. Yeah. I'm showing up to a place and just dealing with problems. And that's whether working on like a pilot with the friends or at Big Mouth. It's at least like I will go to a place and then we will deal with problems in the moment. It's not my job to yeah. sit down by myself and decide. What's a problem? Which I should deal with? Yeah. Will any of fixing any of the? Do I know my own way to fix the? You know, like that. That is a that is the stress. You know. I think that uh, the thing that is tricky is that going from you know you you know you figure out what to do in a local scene, yeah. and then even going to New York, you you try to establish yourself. But then I think the starting to deal with the industry is jarring for people because it's it's really kind yeah. of unknown it really yeah do you have is it, do you have any advice for how to handle that or to prepare for that you know i um i felt like so i i started i was doing comedy in like a local scene and like i think i started in like oh three or oh four i was doing stand-up in cambridge mm -hmm. when i was in college before i moved down to new york in like oh five and despite I don't know. I guess around that time, because it was pre-podcast, basically, yeah. the the industry or the potential of what you could do as someone who wanted to do a lot of things was like, there was like kind of unknown, you know, like what you would find out about showbiz was like, you know, at, in the bar after local shows with like the few people that maybe had come in contact with it or had come back from being in New York or LA, but it was all sort of like very specific anecdotal evidence and like yeah yeah even in college i feel like what i knew about the industry was like 
sure, I knew about stand-ups, and I had a vague idea that you could just do that, and then I guess you get on TV, and then yeah. suddenly you're touring. I don't know. But then also I kind of knew, like, well, Conan O'Brien and, like, Bob, like, he went, he was the Harvard Lampoon, and then he got a job on The Simpsons, and it feels like The Simpsons and SNL, a lot of people, like, somehow got jobs on. Yeah. You know, like, I that was literally, like, what I knew. It was like, if you're in the Harvard Lampoon, I guess you get to... Yeah, be on The Simpsons and then SNL. I don't really know how that works, but like I didn't know about any other writing or any other how someone starts acting or like. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that like podcasts have like opened up a little bit of that of like knowledge, yeah, of knowledge and also understanding that there is no one path and there yeah. is no like, you know, everyone's journey to like whatever metric of success or breakthrough that you might see from afar is like long and complicated and usually unplanned. Yeah. Um, and I think because I'd heard of four specific stories when I got to New York, that was kind of like the four different ways that I thought yeah. you could do it. Um, right. and so like, I, you know, I sometimes will like get coffee with like, like young writers or people in like LA that have just like moved out or, you know, do want to kind of do different like not just stand up, but they're like, oh, I do like some sketch in my college group and I'm like writing a pilot and this and like, I don't know which to pick. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think you should know. Like, um, I, I feel like, I think I am relieved I didn't have a specific set plan when I was 20. If I had been like, all I want to do is do comedy or all I want to do is be a TV writer or mm -hmm. whatever, I then would have just like, had this little blueprint for that and just kind of been like, I, all I care is about the, I'm going to write a pilot and I'm going to write a new pilot. And all yeah. I want is a writing agent or yeah. like, I'm just going to do sets and nothing else. And it's all about the perfect five minutes. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know that you can be that young and know exactly where yeah. you want to end up, you know? Yeah. Like be, you got to be open for the other possibilities. And yeah. Opportunities. Yeah. You have to be a little like water a little bit and be able to kind of adapt because like, I don't know, may, maybe, maybe, maybe one has a vision of like, I've always wanted to be Conan O'Brien yeah. and like, I'm going to just kind of like hit that path that does that. And that works out. And those people right. become Hassan Minaj or whatever, like maybe to have a real specific vision, but like to use this totally random example. I mean, also I can't imagine Hassan Minaj would have imagined whatever the show Patriot Act yeah. is when he was starting to do like, you know, acting and storytelling and or comedy or whatever. Like that was not even a, yeah, place you could have imagined, no. you know, four years ago. Those three shows years ago. didn't exist at all. No, this idea of like, well, I kind of want to like talk about this, and it's sort of jokey, but it's also like informational, and it's not quite late, you know, uh, uh, John Oliver, but it's also not. Yeah, it's in between. Yeah, it's like you, you can't, especially now in this industry. I feel like the if you want to do anything beyond just stand up, like who knows where you're gonna land yeah, or, what, right. like, or what it's going to be like or who you know and even with podcasting and things like that it's like there's it, the, the picking an end point is to me a lot more like um like uh restrictive and hard i mean yeah i think so i think the main advice i would give myself if i could talk to my young comic self is that I was under the vague impression because I didn't understand the industry and didn't know how I was supposed to interact with it or how to get access to it that ultimately like a, a break or any step up would come from above mm -hmm. that like, you know, meeting or doing well in front of, I don't know, like Dimitri Martin, like, I don't know that somehow someone above would like 
see younger me yeah, and yeah. like pluck them yeah. up the ladder and that was like sort of how it worked or like an older executive would be like you're welcome to showbiz or something yeah, yeah. like we're bringing you in for a meeting and I'm sure that happens from time to time but like you know suddenly five or six years went by and I realized like oh this is the the lateral networking of like oh you know what I've been doing these like free bar shows with all my friends and we all like have a voice and like each other and now like we're all doing different stuff right. and like liking each other and like touring with each other or, or wanting to write a thing together. And then you get a little older and like, I'm now, even when I was in New York, you would like go for a meeting with some junior, I don't know, like person at an agency or person at like a, like a comedy central or something. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like a 30 year old, you know, um, assistant development and be like, Oh, I used to watch you when I was 24 and you yeah. were 24. I was like in the audience. Cause I like always wanted to, yeah, yeah. I liked comedy and right. you're like, Oh, suddenly. And like now I'm older and it's like, these people are like the VPs of this thing. And they were also like going to see free shows right. at 25. And right. you're like, Oh, I was like waiting around hoping for like, I don't know, some older rich person to, to yeah, say, yeah. but like actually the community of young people that just cared about comedy, performing it, watching it, reading it, paying attention, like they stayed in the industry and all like went in different directions. Mm -hmm. And like now suddenly everyone has jobs and, yeah, you yeah. know, like not that like uh, that's great advice to be like, just wait a dozen years. But there is a little bit of like this community no, of people like sense. look left and look right are actually more valuable to you in the long term than any like a headliner is coming to town and like I'm going to impress them or I'm going to like yeah. find out how to meet their agent or whatever. Like agents don't do it like, you know, we're going through this thing right now and um, with the writers guild, oh, where, yeah. you know, we all had to fire our writing agents and it's this stressful time, but like it, it was not that hard to look down at every job I've gotten and realize it came from people you knew, people I knew and people I knew when I was like 25 and a drunk idiot at a bar. Yeah. Like that's where like my writing jobs, my acting jobs, my touring stuff. I'm like, Oh, all this money I've made has not been from yeah. agents who like open doors for me. It's been from agents who like, we're middlemen to emails from yeah, yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah, you know, making like, sure that your contract is okay. Yeah, and all that's very necessary, but like, you know, um, it's really hard for like the industry to actually create any yeah. magical opportunity right. for you. You just have to sort of like focus on what you're good at and what, what makes you different than anybody else, you know, and figure out, do that on your own. I think you know? that's, yeah, I think that's great advice. Well, I think we've done it, man. This has been very fun. Thank you very much, Max. Thanks, Sean. This is a blast. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.